Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. We get to jump into Genesis 3 today. Um, I want us to understand that that phrase is not something that we just say at church, uh, that we get to do this, that we get to do whatever. There needs to be something in the heart that we, that we really take hold of that, that we get to do certain things. Um, and it's all about our focus. And so we're going to dive into chapter three here. Um, very powerful chapter. Uh, and we've got some things that we really need to look at. One of the things I want to start out with real quick, before we even read the chapter, we're going to pray and then we're going to uh, dive into this, um, is the historicness of Adam and Eve. We have to get this right or things start falling apart. So um, first, let's pray and then let's really uh, dive into all that God has for us. Lord, we just uh, we thank you this morning. Um, for everybody that's on this call, for us to gather together um, through this technology, to be able to dive into your word, to, to receive refreshment, to receive nourishment, to receive uh, your word today that is good for us, that brings life, that brings wisdom, that brings uh, understanding, um, not of ourselves, but of you. So Lord, we just thank you this morning. I surrender myself to you as I normally do. And this, and we pray that this is your word, that this is your uh, understanding uh, for us to have this morning. So Lord, we just thank you uh, and we pray, amen in your name. All right, so let's get into it. First of all, the historicity of Adam and Eve. We have to get this right because here's the point. If we think that this is some fairy tale fable, and that Adam and Eve aren't historic, things start falling apart in the Bible. And then, and we start losing some actual facts that if they are not true, if Adam and Eve are not real, this story is then not real. And then if the story is not real, further things start just falling and unraveling in the Bible. We can get into all of the science that actually is starting to, they can't 100% prove it, but there is evidence in DNA uh, tech, you know, technology and study that um, our DNA as humans compared to all other uh, living creatures on earth is the least changed, the least diversified actually uh, amongst all quote unquote living creatures on earth. And it just starts pointing towards this idea that uh, scientifically that, yes, there was a specific, very deliberate starting point for humankind. But aside from all that, the best thing that we have, one of the best things that we have in Scripture is Scripture proves other Scripture. 
that we go to other scripture to support further scripture. And one of the best things is, is that we look in Luke 3, 23 through 38, is the full genealogy in there. Uh, and there's two genealogies of Jesus. It's in Luke, this one, and then there's one in Matthew. But the one in Luke uh, goes all the way back to Adam himself. It goes all the way back to Adam. In verse 38, it's all the way back straight to Adam. We have so much evidence to prove that Jesus is a real person. We have great evidence that Jesus walked this earth. With that, we also have great credibility that our gospels are true and that our gospels are worthy of being taken as truth because of uh, the credibility of the eyewitnesses the amount of eyewitnesses that were used to develop the Gospels themselves and the extreme closeness in when the events happened to, to the point in which these are written make, these, make the Gospels and many other New Testament writings some of the most credible ancient documents actually we have in all of history. So with that incredible uh, amount of credibility from the Gospels, from the fact that Jesus lived, then we can take the genealogy that is in the Gospels with great credibility all the way back to Adam to show that Adam and Eve are historic, real people, that they really did live and that this story is true. Scripture interprets scripture, and it's one of the best things and one of the greatest things that one shows that our scriptures are worthy and credible to take hold of, that this is the word of God, and that it continues to compound and build off of itself through thousands of years of making in which God has done and given to us. So with that, let us dive into chapter three here an understanding that Adam and Eve are historic real characters for us to pay attention to and to take this story seriously. So verse three, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat, uh, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew 
that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil, and now least he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. So a couple things we need to look at as uh, we dive into and dissecting chapter three. Number one, let's remember this is pre-flood. Why does that matter? Well, it matters, one, because when we look at uh, where the Garden of Eden even is and we see the descriptions, um, 
we see a couple rivers that we know ge geographically still exist and then we see two that don't and so mapping that specifically and also knowing that the earth changed dramatically because of the flood that we will read later on also that the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil at this time were physical trees that were physically there they were physical trees in which she ate and took from they were physical to where the adam and eve could see them and know physically what to do and not to do with them also but this was pre-flood so all of this we don't have the flaming sword guarding the tree of life anymore all of that was washed away and we are living post-flood so uh, there's a lot of things on there how big was the garden of eden how big was all of this that in which they were operating in um heavily debated on how large eden really was regardless of it we are living in the world we are in because of this story very much so right now we see at the very beginning now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The starting out, the first verse here is, um, is pretty impactful with saying the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. This isn't just any serpent. This is the devil himself taking on the form of a serpent or otherwise a dragon, uh, as we see in this this imagery is not just uh, alone in Genesis, but this imagery was used throughout in other areas of the Old Testament and also the New Testament in Revelation. Not Revelations, Revelation. <laughs> Revelation 12, 9 and 22 both say the dragon, the old serpent, talking about from the beginning here, the devil. In both of those scriptures, they're saying and pointing back to exactly this story, that this beginning here, and understand that this is the beginning, which is going to hold a huge weight. The serpent is the most cunning thing. So cunning that one of the things that we don't even talk about and that Actually, a lot of the sermons I've heard about this don't even mention this. This is how cunning the devil is, is that even us, as we read this story, at the very beginning, Eve isn't even talking about the tree of life. She's talking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil that she should not take upon it. The, the evilness and the cunningness of the, the devil himself has gotten Eve to only think of what she cannot do and what she, versus what she can do. The evilness and the cunningness and the sly ways of the devil get us to focus on things that we can't do or that we shouldn't. He gets us to focus on the barriers versus the path. He gets us to magnify the things that hurt us, the magnify the things that are problems in our lives, to magnify all of the other areas in which we're not able to or not allowed to 
all of the red buttons in life, right? It's like that kid at NASA and they say, don't touch the red button. What does the kid want to do? Just want to touch the red button all day because you magnified the red button instead of showing them all the amazingness of what is going on around them. You magnified the red button. And that's what Satan has gotten Eve to do right here at the very beginning is to magnify the idea of the red button. They magnify the idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because right next to it, also in the midst of the garden, as she described the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, is also, if we look back in chapter two, is the tree of life. Understand, this is a physical tree at this time. This is not just in freedom. We talk about this in our uh, freedom class. If you haven't been through it, you need to. But I'm just saying, like, here in freedom, we talk about what tree are you under swinging knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life. And it's, and it's a mental and it's a spiritual thing for us in the way we're working right now. But here it's a physical thing. It's more than spiritual and, and all that. It's physical as well for her as this serpent, the devil is speaking to her. And people want to say, oh, this is weird. How is a certain serpent uh, speaking? Look, she just got developed out of a rib real quick, okay? So, like, a, a talking serpent isn't all that weird at this point. Like, the majesty of the Lord is walking in the cool of the garden later on here. I mean, they have a relationship with God that is beyond words, that beyond our understanding of how our relationship is with the Lord. It, None of this is weird to her. If anything, just everything is brand new, right? So don't focus on that. This is how even Satan loves to use this scripture to get us to focus on things we shouldn't be focusing on. And here already, we don't focus on the tree of life because we're so focused on what she's doing wrong on all of the issues here and all of it being pointed to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we have completely forgotten about the tree of life sitting over here next to it, that guess what? They had free access to eat at it all the time. The only tree that God said not to, to touch is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He never said you could not touch the tree of life. He wanted them to eat from it. He wanted them to be in under it. He wanted them to enjoy everything that he created, including the tree of life. And for us today, may we focus and eat of the tree of life. Quit worrying about the red button that somebody's saying not to touch. Quit worrying about the barriers in our lives. Let's focus on the path. Let's focus on the way that we're supposed to go. Let's focus on how to get going. And we have a guide and his name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Why are we focused on the barrier? But that's what Satan does. Satan does such a good job at, that's the thing, don't undermine him. The moment we undermine him, the moment that we kind of discard some of the little things, but really he is so good that he's gotten so many people to actually believe this story is fake, this story is a fable, and that he's not even real. 
That's how good Satan is. We know some people that they've eaten that uh, that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil so much that th they ate the seeds in the core too. They're all gone. They're like, don't, oh, it's gone. They ate it hook, line, and sinker. Devil's got them deep. And we all know somebody like that in our lives. They have just taken it all in. They only believe in what they can see and touch. They only want to have their, it's, they are hundred percent. They're not just leaning on it. They're, they're putting their whole lives at stake on their own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Why? We don't understand anything and everything. We don't, we don't know what's happening 10 minutes from now. We don't know what's happening at the end of this call. We don't know what our real day has in store for us. Sure, we can have plans and, and dreams and ideas. We don't know. But God does. So why are we not pressing into him? Why are we not focusing on him? Why are we not listening to him? Why are we not taking guidance from him? Why are we allowing the serpent? To be so cunning but don't underestimate him because he's got us but understand that the story is the beginning this story is the beginning of these problems that we all are in now god had such a great relationship with his first creation that he was he would walk with them physically in the garden. And we see this, that God came walking in the cool of the garden. I need us to also understand that we are all very, very ridiculously responsible for ourselves. We are very, very ridiculously responsible for our own actions or lack of action. A lack of action is an action all to itself. We are ridiculously responsible for what we do. We are ridiculously responsible for the things that we do. We are ridiculously responsible for the people that we are influencing and how we influence others. And we are ridiculously responsible for the actions also that we do not take. Understand this, that Adam sinned equally and at the same time as Eve. Adam took no action. Adam was the one that got the command from God directly. Eve got it secondhand from Adam. Because before Eve was even created back in chapter 2, Adam was told directly by God, don't touch that tree. Don't eat of its fruit. But of course, Satan goes after Eve because she got it secondhand from Adam. So it got her to question, and it got her to focus on the wrong thing. But Adam sat there with, because it says he was with her, 
whether that was in a relative proximity or right next to her, either way, he did nothing. Men, we cannot do nothing. You are responsible not only for the things you do, but the things you don't do. Look at this. When the Lord God called to Adam, he didn't call to Eve. Eve was the one that took the bite and gave it to Adam. Eve was the one that had the conversation with, uh, with the snake, with, in the, with Satan. The Lord God called to Adam. Men, we are called to lead spiritually our homes. We are called to help lead each other. We cannot not have action. We cannot sit on our keister and look at others and go, wow, you guys are messed up. Yes, they are ridiculously responsible for their actions, but you are also ridiculously responsible for your non-action. All of us actually are very responsible for what we do and don't do. If you see something wrong and say nothing, who's worse? We wouldn't do this as parents. We see our kids doing something foolish that could hurt them or is wrong. We absolutely get up and we discipline them. We tell them no. We guide them. We correct them. Now, whether they listen or not, that part is a little bit on them. But at least we did our parenting skills. But why is that not the same when we look within the family, within the body of Christ, and we see brothers and sisters going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, and we say nothing? We have to hold each other up. That's what the body of Christ is built for, is to build and edify each other, to encourage and to correct in a loving manner. In a loving manner means with truth. It, also, it doesn't mean too often we take this idea in the English language has done us wrong with the word of love and doesn't say that, oh, I'm just being loving. You know, I, I don't want to say something. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Understand that we have a just God. We cannot take this attribute out of God, his justness, his understanding of having justice. His justness is crucial to the aspect and character of who our God is. If God is not just, his grace is cheap. His grace is worthless. But because of his justice, because that he has a sense and understands and is just and does punish and does have a level of making sure that people are doing right and has a standard in which for us to point to, to try to achieve, to work for and work with, that yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we're not going to get it right because we live in a world because of chapter three here. 
but he still has a standard of justness. If there's no standard of justness to our God, and all we talk about is grace and mercy, guess what? If it's just love and peace and all of this goodness, and there's no standard to be withhold that our God is not that good, his grace and mercy are cheap. It's cheap. There's no power. There's no meaning. When somebody is, think about it. When somebody just lets everything go, just as whatever, there's almost little respect. It's like, oh, they're really, they're super nice, but they, they, don't, they don't hold a candle to anything. They, they just, they don't stand up for anything. They don't have any accountability. They don't have any justness in their life. They don't have any standard in which what is good or bad. There's nothing. Grace is powerful because he is just. So don't take grace for granted. Don't take grace for granted. That's why it's so amazing. That's why it is the unmerited favor of the Lord because of his justness. If there is no just characteristic of God, then grace is pointless. We see also, we finally get into where God is being just, and he gives the punishments and says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And to the man, cursed is the ground for your sake and toil. You shall eat of it all of the days. In verse 19, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken you will have to regardless of the pain regardless of whatever god still has goodness to come out of it notice that there is pain in life god is saying that here yes you will have to have pain as you bring forth children and bring forth more life and bring forth generations of people. Yes, there will be pain, but there's still life to be had. Yes, we will have to till the ground. Yes, we will have to work, men. We will have to do these things for us to have bread, to have life, to have our life go forward but we have to work and we have to till and we have to have pain. Pain, unfortunately, is part of the deal now. There is no easy way out. There is no way to get around any of that. But understand that there's still purpose in the pain. There's still purpose in the pain. There's still goodness in the pain. There's still life to be had through the pain because of our faith because of our god we still have purpose in our struggle in life 
that's what makes this so beautiful still is that even in the judgment we still have life through it now then the lord god said behold the man has become like one of us as imagine the father speaking to the son and holy spirit himself saying that to know good and evil and now at least he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever this is not something that is a quick fix this is not where oh well if he ate from the tree of life immediately it would have like been an antidote or fixed the problem this is not where they that God is saying that he is not saying that this is a good thing, that this could fix it. He's saying that this would become a permanent problem. That it would never be able to be fixed if he eats of the tree of life at this point. That if Adam had taken that, he would have forever been in a state of separation and sin. But I want us to understand and take this story, take this historic story as God saying, it has begun. It, this is where the whole point of the Bible is saying it has begun. Because at the end, Our Lord and Savior was on the cross. And that's where he says, it is finished. It is finished. From here is where it began. But because of our Lord and Savior, it is finished. He has conquered sin and death. This is the hope in which we get to have. This is the understanding of eternal life with our Father that we get to enjoy. And we get to do this life one another in the victory in which God has already done through his son, Jesus. It is finished. Sin has been conquered. Death is no more. It is merely a transition into eternity because of our Lord Jesus. The amazing grace of God amongst his justice. We see already, it kind of jumped ahead, but verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Already the first sacrifice to cover them. An animal sacrifice. An animal was killed. So the skin of them could cover them as God's justice pushed them out of the garden. Not just for punishment and justice, but also for protection. So that because God operates in the long game. Because God operates for the greater good of everything and not just individual. God not only has justice, 
but protected them and has covered them. Understand that his grace is powerful because of his justice. So we see that we get to see this imagery of that it has begun and Jesus had finished it. The tree is so symbolic. We see this even in Numbers 21, 8 and 9, where Jesus was displayed in Moses' day as this bronze serpent put on a cross, held up. And those that listened to the Lord and looked upon it were healed of these snakes that were dealing, that were just biting everyone and killing many of Israel. The bronze serpent was specifically representing of two things. Bronze was the cross, <clears throat> excuse me, bronze was a metal associated with judgment because it was developed through fire. So he used bronze specifically, and a snake was to depict the devil or sin itself that was hung on a cross for us. So that we could be saved. Jesus even referred to this in John 3.14. Where Jesus is saying that he became full sin. Understand that the wrath of God was poured onto Jesus. Because at that moment he became, he became sin itself to finish the work, to finish this story, to finish what had started here in Genesis 3. So today we get to live this life. We get to worship our God. We get to have a relationship because of the finishing work of Jesus from all long ago where it began. May we keep our focus on him. May we keep our focus on the path in which he has for us and not the barriers of life. Don't let the devil be so cunning in your life to have you focus on the problems, to have you focus on the issues, but focus on the path. Because what we focus on is magnified. So may we magnify Jesus today. May we magnify his grace. May we magnify his justice and may we magnify his glory today. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word today. We just thank you for this, this amazing understanding of what you've done from the beginning. Lord, we live in this fallen world, but we know that you have already conquered it, that, that the victory of your son on the cross here has finished what was unfortunately begun so long ago. Lord, may we focus on you. May we keep our focus today on you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. May we just continue to magnify you, magnify your grace, magnify the, your justice, magnify you and your 
your mercy that just rains on us every morning. Lord, we just thank you so much for your lesson to us this morning. Lord, I just pray for everyone that is just lost. Everybody on this call that is just imagining somebody right now in their lives that is just, they just ate, they ate the fruit, core and all, that they're just lost, Lord. We just pray for your spirit right now to reach out to them. We pray for your spirit to bring them home. And we pray that your kingdom grows. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.